Hello. Hello. Hey, Jeremy. Hello, Rafael. Hey. Nice to meet you. It's gonna blow my nose. It's not... Oh yeah. <laughs> Bring it in. <laughs> we rushed straight into recording. Um, yeah. Take a sip of my tea. How how is your healing and your eyesight and uh, comfort and all those things? I did have a checkup with my doctor. They said it's progressing well, but I should expect another month of healing. Yeah. Uh, before things are kind of stable and I can get glasses or they can tell me what's wrong. <laughs> but uh, can you remind me, you have an artificial lens and you might be able to see better than before the surgery? Yeah, yeah, technically. Um, but the, the reason I'm doubtful is just because um, I have like this cornea that's dry and healing mm. very slowly. And so it's kind of like looking through frosted glass a little bit. Um, but it's getting, it's getting better. I use special drops and... And and have you guys looked at job opportunities in Hawaii? <laughs> yeah, I mean it would be. Then I would definitely yeah stop by. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I I if it was up to me, you would either live in New York or Hawaii. Those are the two locations. Hmm. Yeah, like if if you were if you're like I don't mind living anywhere, Raphael, tell me where should I live? <laughs> have you been to Hawaii? Yeah, we went on our honeymoon. Oh right, yeah, hmm. yeah, it's great. You'll, would you ever go back, though, regardless of me? Uh, I think so. We were thinking of doing a 10-year anniversary, which is next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I've never been to Costa Rica, and that's a lot closer. Oh, I yeah. I really want to go there. Yeah, you should go. I've been to Costa Rica before. It's yeah. great. I, I Our 10-year anniversary was last fall. Um, and then this... Oh, congrats. Oh, but literally... I was in surgery the day before or something, the day after. I oh, could, you just had to ruin it. it yeah, we, we had plans, and I was like, oh, I know it. We'll be able to make it. I, I thought it was going to be like a minor issue. Wait, where was your, your original honeymoon? My Our honeymoon, uh, the original, original honeymoon was um, in Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah. Which is a yeah. Canadian province, because Kristen was getting her permanent residency here, so we couldn't leave the country. Well, I had the same thing. I was waiting for the green card and the, it had to have, we had to do our honeymoon within the U.S. And it's like, well, let's go to the most exotic place in, in U.S. territory. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You could have gone to Puerto Rico, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, are you, did you do the 10 year anniversary honeymoon a bit later or is it still due? Um, yeah, like I... <sighs> I wanted to do it this fall, but now Kristen's like super stressed about going back to school, well, so I the, have to find a way to stick it in. The reason what I'm getting at is that I've seen this a lot with people. When you postpone a honeymoon, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And so you either go right away or it's not Well, we did our happen. honeymoon, but 10-year anniversary is like yeah. an opportunity to rekindle for sure. Well, originally what I proposed as a lifestyle to Christina is that Let's keep a really small apartment, no commitments, and we can do a honeymoon five times a year. Mm. That would, and it, I called it the honeymoon forever lifestyle. And like, if you don't need a car and a garage and all these things, you could save tons of money and just go on lots of nice vacations. It didn't pan out that way. We have a dog now and a car. Oh, the dog is what really ruined it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm happy nonetheless. But that that was my original plan. I'm really. I, I love honey. There's something great in the U.S. when you take a vacation. People make you feel bad about it. It's like, oh, are you sure? Mm-hmm. And don't you have to work? And when you say honeymoon, everyone's happy for you. So it's almost like a life hack in American culture where you can 
Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, for sure it exists because um, after, like a wedding is pretty stressful to put together. To Yeah, it's funny. People are like so obsessed about the wedding and I'm like, but the honeymoon, yeah. that's where you put all the energy. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not trying to, of course, everybody or half the people listening are going to be like, oh, privileged asshole, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was There's this that. weird thing that we always <laughs> talked about that where you often can save money by traveling. Like you sublet your place. And you have opportunity. It, it's weird to explain, but it, especially when you're young, it kind of feel it, it works that way. No, I mean, the reason I met, uh, that I'm married to Kristen is um, I took, a, I decided to take, I had a job offer at FreshBooks and I decided to take it because I calculated I could fly to see her in London once a month. But on my regular like artist income and freelance kind of income, I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that because it was too unpredictable. Yeah. So it, that stability is why I guess I chose a more like even more stable path. But, but honestly, like it was kind of the best thing that happened to me. She's great. So. Um, and and uh, she was not considering moving to North America just yet. Well, I knew that like, like I had to date her for a year. Like she did. Of course, she didn't know if she wanted to commit yeah. to me. So I had to. It, it wasn't the first day. She's like, "Okay, that's it. Yeah, I'm flying yeah. to Toronto. Love you." Yeah. So I yeah. put together like maybe it was like your uh, five times a year honeymoon. I, every date was like the Bachelorette or the Bachelor, and it was like, "Do I get a rose?" <laughs> so mm. you know, the first date we went to like um, a place called the New Forest, and we visited. It, it was like a town where they let little ponies run free. <laughs> Sounds like a Simpsons She still episode. talks about it to this day. Yeah. And let, you know, when we talk to other people about their first date, like, well, yeah, we went to a coffee shop or whatever. And I was like, I flew to, to, to this little forest with ponies. I mean, it gave yeah. me this opportunity to be creative uh, with dating because you had to because you're making a big effort. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, but um, nonetheless, we, I think. Uh, originally our honeymoon was right after the wedding so it was in september but then september is kind of the nicest month in new york mm-hmm. so we as much as it's romantic to repeat the same thing exactly the same date yeah we decided august is kind of awful in new york so we're next year we're probably going to go to scotland and, and like do a do a sort of walking vacation uh walking or hiking or whatever you call it not running um because it's a you know not too hot, a little bit northern, and then probably February we're gonna try Costa Rica. Mm. Yeah, Costa Rica's yeah. great that time of year. Here's an interesting thing I always think about: we don't know all of our audience, we don't know all our listeners. We know a few. Some of them are in Costa had, Rica, I think. Yeah, and we've had a few comments where like, be careful what you say because you guys are so privileged, and we're always careful, and we're always like, sorry, I'm an asshole, blah blah blah. Mm. And I remember last episode I was talking about my studio and then I even feel self-conscious talking about the rent amount or whatever. Da, da, da. And then it's this weird culture where you're apologetic for doing well. Mm-hmm. And I see the argument for being sensitive about it. And I also see the argument of like many people start a business or start a studio and they're excited that things are growing and they will tell everybody like, oh, we got this round of funding. We have that many employees. Yeah. And it's exciting and you're excited to talk about it. And the more you create momentum and why wouldn't you be proud that you've done that and now you can go on a nice honeymoon, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't, how think, do you f- I don't think you should apologize. I, you don't, I don't, I don't apologize very often on, on the podcast. I don't think. 
I think you do. I think I, I think you're careful about like, oh, I bought a Tesla. I, I really wanted it for 15 years, and I can finally afford it. Mm, that's true. I think I think you're trying to undersell your um, purchase purchasing power. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I've been unpacking like our belongings from Toronto, and as I'm unpacking, I'm like, wow, I bought a lot of stuff <laughs> over the years, and it's like, you know, it's kind of going through all of the, you know, your things tell a lot about like your, your story in an interesting way, but I probably invested more in computers than like the number of microchip connected devices. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not absurd. like that. Yeah. I, 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 it's really funny to me. There's always this rumor going on that I come from uh, immense generational wealth, mm-hmm. but I think I buy a computer once every five years or less and, yeah, like I, I actually, I'm at a desk right now and there are two laptops within eyesight, but I have a drawer below, like a filing cabinet and it's all laptops, like a filing cabinet. Yeah, no, th- that's really not how I roll. And I, I always uh, purposely have a laptop that's on the low end because I'm testing my web works and I don't want to work on a powerful computer and then yeah. for most people it'll underperform. Um, and I think there's a similar thing we both have that Christina was did a year of exhibition design with me because I had the show in Germany mm-hmm. and she needed a new computer. And immediately I ran to the Apple store and was like, okay, give me the juiciest MacBook pro. Yeah. Cause it's for Christina. It's not for me. And then for me, it's like, uh, yeah, one MacBook air every five years and like one backup drive. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I I have a great amount of yeah. nostalgia for them though. I also unpacked my first ever computer. Oh, my Mac. Yeah, I, throw, I, I get rid of them. I do the, Secure erase, Ooh. and then I just put them on the street, and someone picks it up. Your very, very like first computer. Do you remember what it was? Um. So the first computer I like when owned you were a child. was. Well, here's my extreme privilege. I did not own a computer until I was maybe twenty-one. Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, we we had a computer at home that uh, was my stepdad's. My dad, I think, didn't have a computer until. Very late, he didn't need it, and he, he had a used compact laptop with the back of a pencil eraser thing in the middle, and it was like it, it was 15 years old when he bought it. Yeah. He bought it used. Um, my computer, the first one I owned, was my first year in art school, and one of my teachers sold his old computer, which was maybe 10 years old at the time, and I think I bought it for 100 guilders. So it was running maybe... Adobe Illustrator 3. What's that, That's like 10, 10 shillings or 10,000 10, $10, dollars? It's 50 euros, okay. like 50 US dollars, okay. something around that price. Wow. But it, 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 it was it was like a 64480. The hard drive must have been 2 megabytes or something yeah. crazy. And, um, let's say it was 250 megabytes, but not, definitely not a gig. And um, then the first iMac, when the, the, the iMacs came out, I bought one and I had to borrow money to get it. Uh, that's the only time in my life I borrowed money. Like the Bondi blue ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, I, I went to the bank and you could go 2000 in the red on my student account. And I did that for the computer and then that's awesome. paid it off pretty quickly. I, I hate debt, but um, <laughs> uh, that, it's just funny to me. This The thing that bothers me about the rumor of me coming from immense wealth is that it discourages people thinking it's possible to be a full-time net artist or, or mm, et cetera. Mm. So that I don't care what people think about me, but 
it's just funny. Like, like I said, I was 21 when I owned my first computer. It's not like, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I came from the opposite background. My, my dad ran an agency and he had some of the first computers, um, in the city, uh, before the Mac, but the first computer he brought home and said, Hey son, this is yours. It was for me and my brother and sister, but I pretty much yeah. like hogged it. Because I was the older one, um, was the Mac SE, you know, the all-in-one, the pre-iMac. Well, I, iMac. I remember growing up, and I think maybe we had a shitty Pentium, uh, whatever thing that couldn't do anything, and going to f- friends of my parents, and they all had Apple computers, and I was like, oh, those are so much better. And I, uh, mm. I, I, th- I think I was maybe ten years old, and I used Mac Paint on a friend's computer. It was one of those. Mm-hmm. All in one pre iMac the Mac Classic, yep. and I had so much fun doing it. But uh, that was not in the realm of possibilities. It was it was awesome Mac Paint where you would like even in two colors like black and white you could paint. With yeah, that's what I used. Tones. Well, you could fill it with eyeballs and yeah, things exactly like those kind of patterns. Yeah, yeah. but I, I'm glad that I, I, you know, you can talk about privilege, or monetary privilege. I, I did have the privilege that my dad is a painter, so I was very comfortable mixing colors and mm. textures and uh trying all that so i feel like this i've had plenty of computer time i'm glad i had some analog time mm. i was trying to get i was kind of trying to segue which i shouldn't have done <laughs> to one of our listener questions and computers and privilege i don't know whether those things are connected but do you, we have a bunch of questions today which should be exciting yeah. to answer well we have we have a pair of questions yeah we have a pair that kind Two of go questions. together like a diptych yeah of questions yeah um, should we read both questions and then sort of answer them, or should we do one at one and then one? Uh, maybe we can maybe do one and then the other one will relate. I'm gonna suggest that we read both because I feel like we're gonna forget. Okay. All right. Uh, this was uh, one of the um, one of my famous leading questions. I already know what I want, but okay. sorry about that. Do you want me to read them or do you want to read them? Uh, why don't you read the first one? Okay, so I'll read the one from uh, Ariel. Ariel asks. I've been debating what to call contemporary art that incorporates technology like computers, internet, blockchain, AI, software, and apps. Some artists prefer simply contemporary art, questioning the need to distinguish it from other forms. Yet we differentiate between paintings, sculptures, drawings, and videos without issue, which brings me back to square one. So I guess a question about what do you call art that incorporates technology? Terminology. Mm -hmm. And then... um... Piri Quick, I, I'm not sure if Ariel had asked the question before, but Piri for sure, but it's also a, such a particular name that I remembered. But question for the pod. Hi, I recently won a poetry competition and now my book will be published. Well, congrats. That has prompted some questions in my mind since I have assumptions of my own on what people think of poets. Have you folks encountered uncomfortable presumptions on being an artist? How do you deal with the possible stereotypes attached to you in terms of being an artist? Mm, we were kind of just talking about that with you and your the stereotype of your privilege or whatever. But yeah, yeah, maybe we my could... friend was saying it's my haircut, but, yeah. <laughs> or maybe people assume that you know because you're Dutch. But maybe we start with that the Ariel's question. Yeah, um, yeah. though you're I think more qualified to answer a poetry question, just because. Um, well, I I, I think uh, the answer is quite simple. In terms of, um, but the, the, 
The really simple answer to me is that the word poet or the word artist is equal to the word genius. So it's very uncomfortable to call yourself a genius. Mm. That's something someone else has to do. And so you can say, oh, this chef, this chef is a great chef. He, he can make a good meal, he or she or they. Uh, this other chef is great. He bakes the best grilled cheese. Uh, this other chef, but this chef, he takes it to a whole nother level. Like he transforms your mind while you're eating. You you forget where you are, mm. blah, 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 blah. This is not a chef. This is an artist. So wh when we use the word artist as a next level, you're transforming the genre. Then if you use it in that way, then you're basically using the word as a genius. Another way to use the word artist is to say he's a bad artist. Like They're good artists and bad. Not every artist is a genius, but they're making visual things without a client relationship. Let's let's call that artist. Mm, I don't know. I might then debate that. Yeah, exactly. So it, get, it, <laughs> it all gets really complicated. And then you're like, everybody's an artist. And uh, uh, why isn't my grandma an artist? She's so good at making da-da-da. Um, but I understand why it's uncomfortable. But um, this this I think we discussed this before. So this is the normal. What I never discussed was when I grew up, the word contemporary art, I was like, contemporary art is already 30 years old. It's time for a new word. Ultra contemporary. <laughs> I don't know. There was modern art. That was cool at some point. There was renaissance. Yeah. That was cool at some point. And I was like, well, we had postmodern and now we have contemporary art. And contemporary art sounded very French to me. It, mm. Maybe that's the context I grew up in, but uh, yeah. l'art contemporain. And it was, do you know this, this um, furniture company in France called Habitat? Habitat? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, that's what contemporary art looks like to me. It's just all kind of chic, but also kind of predictable and like an, an empty room with uh, some a, a, a pack of spoiled milk on the floor. That's contemporary <laughs> art. I mean, technically, so, I think there's a technical definition for it. I mean, it, uh, traditionally, I believe it refers to art by those artists who are living. Um I know, but that at some point it becomes old-fashioned and it's time yeah. for a new word. So it, it, just like modern art, you're like, oh, that's very modern-looking mm -hmm. or that's very contemporary-looking. So I feel like as a new generation, you should be excited about... Uh, you should be tired of the old and excited about the new. And so maybe it's time for a new term. But digital art or video art or performance art, those are genres. That, and contemporary art is the name for an era. Yeah, I think it, contemporary art or is kind of, in my mind, is always is like a playhead on um, that's always moving forward in time, infinitely on an infinite recording called human history. But um, a little, a little recording, <laughs> a little, just a little recording. However, um, I, str I mean, maybe we go all the way back to square one. In the first place, I really struggled to call myself an artist. I didn't. But that's a confidence issue. That's not a terminology. Issue. Yeah, but then immediately after. I was asked, what type of artist are you? So like first I had to overcome this thing of like, am I an artist? And then I was like, does what I, where does what I make fit into? You mentioned genre. And for me, I was doing video art. So early on, that was the easy thing to say. I was like, oh, I'm a video artist. And then I ended up getting kind of frustrated with that community because I didn't like, not, I didn't, I didn't really identify with what they were doing. In a way, it helped me stand out because I was doing things that were very different. 
from you, others. You mean they were from the tape era and you're from the streaming era? Yeah, yeah, like they were like doing, yeah, they were like doing stuff about videotape noise and stuff. And I was like, no, it's about computers. And people were like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like computers and video did not really start to make sense until people didn't really think of video and computers until probably... 2006, 7, 8. I mean, I'm not saying no one did. There were lots of people. So that did. It was a bandwidth issue, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So so it was all these like online, like various tape to tape systems and complicated editing machines. And from very early on, I was like, no, everything should be in the computer. I'd record my desktop. And I thought that was like the ideal environment because I was like, I spend more time on my computer than I do in the world. And so like I should, in the future, we'll all just like record ourselves on our computers um, I didn't know about <laughs> phones and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, like that didn't make sense in the video art community. So then I started to like meet computer artists. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm a computer artist. And then someone I, I think one day was like, I don't know where it came up, but new media art or new media artist was a term that um, came to my attention. And I was like, what is that? Isn't it all new media all the time? Like it was very confusing from the very beginning. And I thought it was funny. Um and eventually, I, I, you know, I made fun of it. But you must have gone through a few steps. Well, I, I, I went through the steps of... I always said I'm an artist because I thought I want to... I want to have the opportunities of an artist. So it, it's not about me having that label, but I thought if I tell people I'm an artist, then maybe they will ask me to do things an artist does. Mm-hmm. If I tell people I'm a web designer, they're not going to ask me to do an exhibition. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But... But what happens is, okay, I'm an artist. Okay, cool. Nice to meet you. What do you do? Well, I make websites. And they're like, okay, great. Can you make a website for me? Oh, interesting. No, no, that's not what I mean. I'm using it as a medium, blah, blah, blah. And so it was very important to say it's art, even though I like the fact that net art travels around the world without an art context and people can have an innocent viewing. But it's just important. But you have to see the terminology as a tool and not, not not think of it as something that happens to you but uh, think of it as something you use yeah that's what I mean there's a difference versus so being can, used by it you mean yeah so you can be like oh if people think I'm an artist and, and I'm not showing in museums they're going to think I'm a loser I think every as far as I know every historical movement the artists were always unhappy with the term that was thrown at their group so minimal art or fauvism or impressionism, but it ends up helping them. So you just use it when it's useful. I always see it like the analogy I think of is there's the night sky and it's filled with an infinite amount of stars. And then there are constellations that help people find them. Mm-hmm. So you can't grasp all the individual artists. And then there are these groups and maybe all the stars in the Big Dipper don't like being called the Big Dipper, but it's useful to find it. Yeah, it's like compact cars or SUVs. Yeah, but imagine imagine one of the stars of the Big Dipper is like, I hate these other seven uh, dots, and I'm the only dot that matters. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea of fitting into a box or category can be frustrating early on, um, but I think you, like you're right. Yeah, you can it can add... also be creatively destructive where you're labeled as a minimal artist. Right. And you're like, but I want to paint figurative paintings now. <laughs> and people are like, no, 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 you're a minimal artist. Yeah, I remember adding, starting to add the word performance into, I'm a video performance artist because I was, 
almost always in front of the camera. Yeah. But when I would approach people in performance art circles, they would be like, you're not one of us, you know, basically, <laughs> even though I was doing like live performance. Why did they stuff. say that? It's not, they didn't say it with words that it would be like, we were speaking in different languages because my background was in like flexus and video art and their background might relate to that, but you know, had a broader set of understanding and might be like either like they were just coming at it from a different history or different in different, using different language than me. I just remember in Toronto, especially where I was like kind of starting out as an artist, like I didn't get invited to do any performance art stuff. I could only get stuff in the video art realm. And to your point, like it was, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. Like you get asked, but you also build a community around you as you grow. And the community yeah. that you're a part of ends up kind of, that's the constellation in a way. I'm not sure if it's like, it's as easy to just jump into any old category as like the whole community has to kind of welcome you in as yeah. well. But but if you if you look at someone if you look at you at that moment, mm -hmm. you felt unwelcome. Was that because of the word performance, or was it because they? It was probably uh, as much me as them, though, because I was like, "Ooh, what is this? Yeah, stuff? It's so dated." Yeah, you don't relate <laughs> to them; they don't relate yeah. to you. And then the words, I just see artists as like these hungry creatures, and they go towards curiosity, and they want to absorb a lot of impulses and then output them and they want to go in a direction and then all of a sudden someone puts a stop sign and says hey performance artist only yeah i think the irony and then yeah. you just have to learn to be unafraid it's just yeah. like well then i'll just start my own thing and um but you're right I, it is shorthand and it helps communicate you know what your interests are and what you who your community yeah but is. but you have to assume when, when you're an artist that there's going to be a lot of stop signs and there's going to be a lot of impossibilities and problems and stress. And uh, if you don't like that, then it's not for you. Like it, it's guaranteed that it's going to be annoying. And yeah, I mean, tiresome. Ariel is not alone. We can say like for, sh for sure, even in internet among internet artists, which you would think is a very specific group that was quite satisfied with itself. You wouldn't think that that was kind of a joke, but uh, about 10 years ago, right. There was the whole post internet art movement and in, and no one likes being called a post-internet It's artist. cringy, for sure. Um, yeah. But what it was attempting to do is categorize artists who were not necessarily plugging, showing works that plugged into the wall and started to make sculptures yeah. and paintings that were re referencing the cultural norms that were the result of the internet. So, And they were also, I think, known for using uh, industrial processes and making sculptures or paintings with uh, technology like 3d printing uh photo printing yeah. things like that and it was often i think the cringe part was that people said oh these works are made for documentation they're not so enjoyable in person they're just made for the internet that that was often the critique of it and there was also a, usually a big price tag it was almost like a yba kind of moment young british artists uh i don't think there's a damien hurst of no, no, but I think in terms of the way the hype cycles, it probably... Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. But I think the NFT is probably close to YBA, like the NFT hype cycle in terms of like yeah, but, the, the personalities but that came out of it. If if we think of terminology, I, I think any artist that you think of historically, there was some term that helped them. And uh, it, it's just impossible without 
any terminology and it never feels right, but in the long run, it's necessary. Yeah. In fact, I remember during a post-internet thing, you know, different people were fighting for who invented the word and, you know, um, didn't really matter. I remember the word came up and I felt frustrated because I was like, internet art was something so new. And then I felt like post-internet was a step back because we're going yeah. from the internet back to the gallery. We, we were going from independence to being part of a system. And then why would we call that post? Because post, and to me, the NFT and the blockchain felt like post-internet. That was the next invention. It was a step forward. Yeah, it kind of felt like a step back to me. But I mean, either way, like um, credit to like Marissa Olson and Jean McHugh, who were two people that were writing about it at the time yeah, because they were yeah. trying to make sense of kind of a cultural moment. Um, but like it gets us back to this point where, you know, Ariel, you, it might be that you choose something and you're comfortable with it and then someone else chooses something for you and it's awkward. <laughs> like, so you yeah. do end up at square one quite often. Um, yeah, like no band was happy with the term grunge. Like, yeah, we're a grunge <laughs> right, band. Like Nirvana, grunge all the way, bro. Nirvana, like I can't see Kurt Cobain being like, yeah, how do we get into that grunge category? <laughs> yeah. And so when you think of Nirvana, they were just trying to do the best records they could yeah. and try to write the best songs they could. They weren't like, let's make the grungiest grunge song of all time. and Let's grunge it up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so for me, though, like I've, you know, I make fun but, of But that. Maybe, maybe that's an interesting analogy. Like at what point do you call yourself a musician? And do you play with the term musician? And I think there's something, mm. you're like, oh, I, I mess around on the guitar. Oh, we made a demo. Oh, we did a couple of shows. And then at some point it becomes your life. I'm in a band, yeah, I'm a I musician. Yeah, I'm a musician. Yeah, but first you say I'm in a band. But if you've been doing it for 40 yeah, years, yeah, yeah. you're like, yeah. And, and so it's a there's career. a difference. There's a difference between we rehearsed three times and then we mm -hmm. stopped. And, oh, I've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. And to me, that that's more what it's it's about seeing what someone does for a long, long time. Yeah. That is the weird thing though, with these things, which is like, where do you draw the line? Like, it, I guess it's like a, it's like a, a bath that's getting warmer and warmer and then eventually it's comfortable. It starts out really cold. You add some mm. hot water, gets a little warmer, yeah. you know, then you can relax. But then for, for the audience, I love discovering comedians when they're just starting. I'd, I'd rather not go to a stadium and see the greatest hits. Do you think that the com because the comedian doesn't even know what comedy is at that point, like what the norms are? Or? I don't know. It's just more exciting for me to. Like, I I'm not going to pay six hundred dollars to see Seinfeld do his. Uh, no, but there, I mean, it, it does strike me that there are artists who either fall into, like you said, music or comedy, but then there are types of people that have basically said, like, none of this is correct. We're going to like write a manifesto. <laughs> And yeah, are going to be yeah. these people. I would say that's like probably the hardest road well, to it, take. It, but it, if if you look at uh, there's several moments, but probably the the, the punk explosion. They oh, were yeah. all like, "We're not musicians. We're we're into that's chaos." That's a great example. And we, yeah, and we we make anti music, and uh, we don't know our instruments. And then they play for a couple of years, and after a while, you're like, "Oh, they've got they've actually gotten quite good. They're they're musicians." Yeah. But at first, you were like, "Oh, this is performance art, or this is." vaudeville or yeah, i'm pretty sure like rap music though don't quote me on this well you can quote me but i'm pretty sure rap music was self-built self-titled kind of you know like there are subcultures that emerge without anyone coming in with expensive labels right yeah um and then in art for me fluxus which is an iron ironic one that i always refer to on the podcast because it was like 
our, their goal was for everyone to become an artist, to actually remove the terminology yeah. entirely. Well, that's interesting. So if if you are like 100% inclusive, so you say every human being is an artist. Then, that was their goal, yeah. Then the word just becomes equal to human. It, like the, it loses all meaning. It's just like anyone who has two legs and, and two arms. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that was a yeah. democratizing gesture. Like it was like everyone deserves great furniture. It was like yeah. IKEA for art. <laughs> It's interesting to me that there were a lot of these ideas in the 60s, 70s of dematerializing art yeah. and making art more accessible. And then as soon as it actually was possible with the Internet, people were like, wait a minute, that's not art. Well, I mean, there that's was a just, cultural that's explosion. That's just Tumblr. Yeah. No, 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 that's not art. That's ugly. That's just, those are NFTs. That's Those are just ape drawings. Those are just JPEGs. That's not art. Mm -hmm. So there's this counter reaction when it's actually possible. Yeah, I mean, people would look back on the 60s and 70s, I think, as like culturally revolutionary, if you think. No, no, but, but, but what I mean more is that in theory, everyone's super inclusive. Mm. And say, of course, everyone can be an artist. And then when it happens in practice, people panic or the art world panics. Yeah. So if we go back to the terminology, the, the word loses meaning when every GeoCities uh, user is an artist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the great irony of like, uh, so the reason I was interested in internet art is I did think of it as like a post-fluxus movement. The same way we, you've, and we've both talked about this, like the internet allowed for that, everyone to kind of have their own gallery in the form of a webpage or... You yeah, know, your own museum. Yeah, your own museum. Yeah. I've done so many like you museums Open 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, that is still like an extremely interesting and rich concept that arrived, you know, 30 years after the invention of the ideology or 40 years maybe. And so, yeah. And I, I always thought when the internet happened that if you would tell Da Vinci like, Hey, there's this connected moving screen that any human in the world is going to at some point be connected to. Of course that would be more exciting than mm -hmm. painting a chapel. Right. You'd be like, I'll make the chapel the, uh, like a screen. <laughs> yeah. It could be like yeah. 10 paintings a day. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, anyway, no, so... It wasn't Da Vinci that painted the chapel, but you get the point. The last point I would make here, though, is... Um, and this is more of a question than a statement, which is... And maybe the question for you. Have you ever considered conceptual art to be a catch-all greater than, you know, art, like contemporary art? You know, because... Contemporary art is not as specific as what you do. I, I never liked the word contemporary art because it sounds like contemporary furniture. It yeah, sounded yeah. Like, like a lifestyle What brand. about conceptual art? Because a lot of folks have put me I, in that basket yeah. over the years. So wonder what you think. Well, I, I would say when you hang out with painters or abstract painters, you understand there's a big difference between conceptual art and abstract painting. Mm -hmm. they, they really go in a space where... Uh, it's almost like uh, like wine tasting. It is, it's this really physical thing that's hard to describe. And you're like, oh, yeah, this has a good vibe. Mm. And, and conceptual art is more discussion-based. Yeah, I, so I would think you, you'd be, like, against it. That was my <laughs> sort of provocation for you. But, like, against it in so much as it presumes a certain type of um, um, pretension. I make a big difference between conceptual art and narrative-based art. And I, th mm. I feel like people use narrative-based art as a they think conceptual art is, is narrative-based mm -hmm. and that they want a conclusion and a meaning and all these things but i think conceptual art doesn't do that at all mm. so 
But here we go again with the terminology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's difficult. Yeah, but the best example I have is like uh, the famous the the what is it? One pound of shit by Monzoni. Yeah. In, the, in, in a can. Classic. I was I just saw it in person uh, recently. Yeah. Did you smell it? I tried to, but it was behind glass. It was yeah. so precious. Yeah. <laughs> so is it, does that work have a narrative or? But that's a classic so. piece of conceptual art for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. but that's very different from, let's say, Ai Weiwei, who has a very clear message and it's like, well, this is my message. I'm going to package it just like an ad agency and it's very understandable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you see like these uh, collect these kind of collectives and artists online now who are doing like, I would call it conceptual art, but they call it like meme art. Um, where the I saw one recently. I can't remember the name of the artist, but he like, it was... It, it was conceptual art by any other main name, it, but he basically sold um, jars of hot dog water that were formerly sculptures of hot dogs made out of ice uh, from hot dog water. That Who was this? <laughs> I can't remember the name of the artist, but uh, very similar to like Jesus Shoes by the yeah by that New York collective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mischief. Mischief, yeah. I, I love this work. Uh, Erwin Wurm who's from Austria, and he made all these the fat car and the fat house, these, these sculptures that look like a blobby, cartoony version of a stereotypical thing. Mm -hmm. And then he made this hot dog cart in Brooklyn, and he would give free hot dogs to people. And that was a form of using people as sculptures. So he was mm. making people fatter. And just like <laughs> his sculptures, he's like, I'll actually make people fatter. And that's the... That's conceptual art to me. Yeah. Like any any material is possible. Why not humans themselves? And yeah. So that's contemporary or conceptual for you? That's conceptual. Okay. Yeah. The reason I sometimes don't mind it is because like as I started to make businesses as artworks, people did not like I, I've had a very hard time getting people to it's like relational aesthetics, you could argue, but I haven't or even when I talk about management as art, like at that point, my new media artist <laughs> kind of, even though it's a satirical uh, label, mm -hmm. pe people have a hard time connecting the dots. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that should should not stop you. And that's what no, it I doesn't, mean. With, it doesn't. I still and, and that's to do weird things. Maybe like back to the question, like at what point is a label helpful and at what point is it restricting you? And I think you should be aware, like I started as an internet artist and then a lot of my friends were going in the post-internet direction and I was kind of against that I was like we have so much freedom on the internet we're free from the establishment and why would we go back and then at some point I started with lenticular prints and I really debated with myself it's like no I should remain a pure internet artist but then the material itself could do things that I couldn't do in a browser and that in the end that's what I mean with curiosity and you don't want the terminology to stop your curiosity it's same with you like, oh, I, I was a web video artist or a software artist or a performance artist, and now I'm a, using business as a material. And you should not let the label yeah. confine you. I mean, I'm reminded of one of my favorite videos. Two of my favorite videos ever made are both by Richard Serra. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the, the stuff going through his hand? Well, yeah, no, the two that I like are one, he collaborated with Nancy Holt. So I, th I think it would be like equally her video. It's called Boomerang. And it's actually Nancy Holt on screen. And she's um, she's listening to her echo. And the other, I think that's Richard Sarah and Nancy Holt, Boomerang. But the one that I like is Television Delivers People. I don't know if you know that. Oh, one. yeah. 
the the teleprompter sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, I have to double check this boomerang thing. I thought that Richard Sarah was a part of it, but I could be wrong. Uh, nope. Yeah, yeah it's Richard Sarah. I, I found Sarah. it yeah. here. It's in MoMA. And you, yeah. But you would never recognize that as like, if you looked at Richard Sarah's work today. Um, now, obviously, he did that in 1974 in the, in the mid-70s. And so... But, but it, no, those other two videos that, that I know, the, the one of piece of steel going through a, a very rough hand. Yeah, I know that piece too. Other that's one closer the, to his the, style. The sure. train bridge that's turning. Those are both, you, you see steel, you see heaviness. Yeah. And, and yeah. But the like Boomerang is about psycholo- the psychology and aesthetics of narcissism. <laughs> so it's like that, like that doesn't reflect on shipyards, grow, you know, and growing up near shipyards and stuff like that. But so. it does make sense because it, to me, Richard Serra is the most phallic male ego type artist, like the biggest piece of steel you can ever get. And it's only for rich people. Mm. Uh, yeah. So you think he was investigating ego later? It, I mean, to me, when you make sculptures that are that, that yeah. difficult to handle, it, that's all about ego, yeah. Well, the television delivers people is like a teleprompter talking about how basically you are a sculpture designed by capitalism. Um, and it's, mm. you know, describing how television manufactures normal, you know, normalization or people yeah. as yeah. we as they knew them in the 1970s. Well, that's a whole other episode we could do. No, it totally is. But it, I only bring it up because it's like we assume genre, like almost like history assumes that, a genre That's a for good an point. Yeah, yeah. Because we... We think of an artist like Solowit does murals, mm-hmm. Lawrence Wiener does texts, exactly. uh, Marcel Duchamp does found objects. And then if you deep, dig deeper in the catalog, you're like, oh, they made a ton of figurative paintings and they also did music and etc. So that's one thing the terminology does. It might not stop the artist from doing different things, but the term changes the perception of the artist. And then Exactly, yeah. But that's not up to... In the end, it's not up to you. It's it, yeah. it's always this very simple thing. Is like you, you can only do what's interesting to you, and you can't lie to yourself because you know what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So that's the only, really, the only mantra, the only thing. It's just like do what you feel you want to do. Mm-hmm. So to, what, the, let's get back to Perry Quick and the poet thing. Is it an uncomfortable? I, I feel like the word poet is even sounds more pretentious than an artist <laughs> because it's so hard to make money as a poet. So for you to say that, and and on the other hand, now in the age of is it like social... saying you're a squire? I don't think so. In you know in Calgary, there's a poet laureate that's always appointed by the city. Yeah, the, I, the state poet. I swear <laughs> to God, though, this guy is like the most. <laughs> famous person in the city everyone recognizes him knows him like he's, he's doing loved. events all the time yeah um he's he's the aphex twin of uh... <laughs> <laughs> well i think in, in this environment it's more recognizable as art because it's not like a contemporary art city in that way yeah um well it's it's also um it spreads freely it's accessible you can buy the book for an affordable price so it doesn't have all that weight of uh, he has a great name too artworks. wakefield brewster um, mm. but like, I swear to God, he's like at every city event. And like, you go to a, even if you go to a gallery open, they're like, oh, Wakefield's here. <laughs> if you think of Andy Warhol, yeah. do you think the term pop artist covers it? Because he, he did so many things that I don't think are that pop, but that are important to the way he works. I would assume he would f- have found it amusing that he was categorized that way. Yeah. But, but for you, like... When someone is doesn't know Andy Warhol and you want to describe him, you're like, well, 
He did soup cans. I would refer to him as a conceptual artist, but I I do understand why he's a pop artist, right? Um, At times we've talked, like you, we've talked about your work in that, in reference to pop art. And so would you be comfortable with that term? It just seems so. It's just not up to me, but if someone, if you have to write your own bio, I always put, I'm a visual artist using the internet. So I'm very visually oriented. So I see. I want to emphasize that, but... I'm a famous new media artist, so that's all I know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that works. By the way, if you type in famous new media artist into Google, I'm still number one, but in like Google's curated... Let me see if that's true here as well. But it curates you as one of the top uh, new media artists, so... Uh Uh-oh. You know... I'm breaking your system. Yeah, you're you're breaking in. (laughs) Wait, I'm Googling you from... From New York. ...my login... So I do, I do, I've done it on like, um, I'm sorry, um, but you're not there. Oh yeah. You're you're number two. Oh, two. I can, the the number one link is electric artifacts. Yeah. Sometimes we swap new media artists. You should know. Yeah. That, that swaps back and forth. But then there's, there's, um, those are the two first results, but the first block of Google is is nine thumbnails with names and, it's Rafik Anadol, Mark Tribe, people like that. Jun so. Pike, Raphael Rosendahl, Corey Archangel, no, Chalfay. Those Pierre are not Healy. there. Hitostel. Petra Kortrak. Am I seeing different ones than you? That's interesting. I do see Hitostel. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Alexi no, Shulgin. It, I think it's different, Yeah, depending on your search history. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I have Alexei Shulgin, yeah. Raphael Rosendahl. There's no truth. Hammer. Yeah. Mm, no truth. But maybe this is a good thing. Like, Team Lab. We keep thinking. I just... I feel like uh, if I was a teacher, I would just make a recording of a loop mm-hmm. and like, don't think about others, think about yourself. What do you want? That's all I would say. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And that, and then you just have to think about what you want. People are going to throw all kinds of things at you, like compliments. They're going to block you from opportunities. They're going to grant you access. And all you have is your own energy. Yeah, I think the other way to think about it is do whatever it takes. <laughs> and so if yeah. if you want to hang out with poets, call yourself a poet. If you want to hang out with... If it's mediators, useful to you. Yeah. yeah, like if you want to be... Yeah, I don't know. I, I do remember this um, writer Rip said this thing, art is about who your friends are. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like a snarky comment. No, no, that's what I was like, saying earlier. Yeah, but it is true. It's... Um, because who your friends are, are the, is, is the constellation that you're in, but it's also your reality. So if if you're surrounded by people who say, yeah, that's possible, then you start to think it's possible. If everybody around you says that's never going to happen, then it's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I, you know, I'm, I don't really I, like I, I think about it and I do get back to that square one that I Aaron never think about, but it, not. No, I was about to say, never. but like very rarely the way I used to when I was starting out. Because to your point, like I'm more interested in the next project than the label. So, yeah. And I I think uh, moving to New York and the people hang out with, it seems that the people who do really well don't think about what the world wants. Mm -hmm. But it does beg the question for you because you got the studio and you said you're going to paint. Would you call yourself a painter? Well, I haven't even started. So, no. But Mm. when do you you say that then? After one painting, two, three? No, I, I think I'm an artist who you, who uses several media of which paint is one. Okay. I don't. Yeah. Okay. yeah, 
it's funny. I do wonder whether like other disciplines struggle with this, but I think but I might do. I might give up after a week and be like, oh, someone else should do this. I'm not good at it. Well, in filmmaking, I know it's like, are you a do you make music videos? Do you make films? Do you make commercials? Are you, yeah, but that that's the fake until you make it. Like you said that always. Yeah. Like oh, I just told people I'm famous, and then you become famous. So yeah, if you if if you really want to make motion pictures, but you have to start out with commercials, you don't tell everybody. <laughs> I'm a commercial video director. You just say I'm a I'm working on my next film, and you lie about yeah. it. Yeah, you're like yeah, I got funding, but we're still missing ten percent. Do you want to chip in? Yeah, exactly. You do have to express confidence, otherwise you will get yeah. questioned for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you don't need anything, like if if you're a poet, you, uh, all you need is a typewriter or a piece of paper. You know, mm-hmm. it's very different from making films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if there's much more to say about this, but uh, I think it is a good question. It's something that I think, you know, certainly. But just leave it up to others, the terminology, or just use it. You see it as a game and like. It's kind of easier said than done, though, if you're like applying for grants and, you know, those grants. Yeah, but you you can say something. It's not easier said than done. It's it's easy to do it. So you apply for you, you apply to 10 grants and then you beta test. You're like, oh, in this grant, I called myself a new media artist. In this grant, I called myself an activist. Yeah. In this grant, I called myself a farmer. Yeah. And then you'll see what works. Chat GPT, write this grant as if I was a video artist. <laughs> Chat mm-hmm. GPT, write this grant as if I was a poet. But it, it's always interesting to me. Do you know artists who you think are consistently making great work who are not recognized? Um, and and uh, let me let me phrase the question more precisely. Yeah. Let me phrase the question more precisely. Do you know artists who you greatly respect their work and think it's intriguing, and they've developed a great body of work, and that cannot make a living off of their practice? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. off their so, practice alone for sure. Yeah. So we can agree that you can be a great artist and not make a living out of it. So that should remove some fear for our listeners. Like, oh, you don't have to become commercially successful to be a good artist well in fact like at the museum level you typically make less from fees alone right um you're doing no i i understand that but i think most of those artists uh, can you give an example of an artist you think is really kicking ass in their work and they could never make a living off of it right now yes not tomorrow no no i'm just thinking of like you know historically i think i would have pointed at jody which we've talked about on the podcast before but they make a living out of their art do they though they teach don't they no, they don't. They they've gotten uh, grants and they, they've mm. they've figured it out. But they, I think the as far as, I haven't spoken to them in a while. But they they told me they've done some workshops, but they're too dysfunctional to really teach. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they 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 have two kids. They own a house uh, in in the Netherlands, and they're doing. F- I don't know their situation right now, but they always were able to make it economically but that's also because of the netherlands Mm -hmm. maybe similar to canada but that's always the interesting thing to me is like we talk about artists not getting their due and etc but what's an example of an artist that you really feel like is underappreciated to the point that yeah well i'm immediately putting a filter on it in terms of because at the local level i could identify people i know but I think we're you're talking at like an international level. No, no, no. I'm not talking about level. I'm talking about work that intrigues you. Mm-hmm. That you think, oh, this work is, is so amazing, but no one else gets it. Only a handful of people. 
I think it would, one thing that really changed things, and I'd have to go check in with folks, but NFTs for a lot of folks, like let's take, um, uh, like there's a, there are a bunch of examples I could probably draw from the internet art scene, you know, people like, um, like Rick Silva or something like that, uh, where mm-hmm. they might not have been, they were teaching and they might yeah. not have been doing as many shows, but then like that sold, but then they were selling things. But I think then the NFTs really like kind of pushed a bunch of people. I don't know if actually Rick did end up getting pushed into another. No, one, I, but, I know what you mean. Yeah. Like a lot of artists that had to do code work for money on the side that were able to make the jump to being a full-time artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, to me, the only success that I see as an artist is whether you're full-time or not. That's that. All the rest, all the accolades and all the stuff is kind of arbitrary, mm-hmm. but it's like, do you get to spend your time the way you want? Yeah, yeah. I think, te- yeah. I mean, teaching was the, the reason I brought it up is just like teaching was um, kind of the, ba- the backup plan for a lot of folks or the first plan in many cases. Yeah. And it basically it allows you to have a research-based practice where and, you and can then, take risks. So. And John Baldessari is the famous example yeah. of a teacher who taught and, and that school brought a lot of interesting artists out of his teaching and he made interesting work during his teaching or mm-hmm. Joseph Albers. And uh, there's, there's examples of teachers doing really But I know well. it's very frustrating for, for, for some people, including myself, who like might not, you know, have thought teaching was the path they wanted to take or they were interested in or were rejected, you know, when they tried to become a teacher early on. It's also a very hard and competitive, you know, discipline. It's a, yeah, and it requires a lot of uh, energy. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. doubt. Anyway, I, it's almost here. It's uh, In a way, it's not really here or there, but if we're getting back to money I, and how you, like, label yourself. Well, the you know. funny thing about the label thing is... Um, the exam- I think we're a broken record, but that's okay for this episode. Yeah. But I-, I had lunch with a friend who's an artist, and he talked about the first day at art school, and everyone's excited. And then some teacher gave a keynote sp- speech, and he said, well, only 1% of you will thrive. And he looked around, and I'm like, I'm going to be part of that 1%. But mm-hmm. imagine you're, a- a- like, only 1% of you will make a living out of what we're teaching here. Yeah. And imagine you go to an MBA or like a vocational school to learn to be a welder or to fix plumbing, something. And it's like only 1% of you will make a living with what we teach you here. I mean, I think that's incorrect in so much is only if you adhere to the categories that the traditional art world kind of like sets out yeah. for you. Yeah, which is very restrictive. Yeah. yeah. And so I just think there are other, this maybe gets back to the fluxus point, which is like assuming everyone is an artist you might assume that art exists in places you don't recognize it as well. Um, but then, so saying you're an artist still is uh, useful in the sense that you're like, it doesn't mean that I am making money with art. It doesn't mean that I'm showing in museums, but it's an attitude that I'm interested yeah. in experimentation and I'm willing to uh, explore things that are unexplored. I think and, it fits your yeah. punk rock thing, which is like, it's an intention you know, about the world. Yeah. Um, like if I went and switched all the price tags at the grocery store and called it conceptual art and you know, no one ever heard about it, the intention was still pure, you know? Yeah. Um, even though that sounds like a really bad piece of work, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but it's a commentary on inflation. Um, yeah. It, but it, the, it was the intention 
that traces back to art. It's not the way it was received or how it was categorized. It's my intention in the world, how I act upon the world. Yeah. And, and, and again, like, uh, the, well. the terminology, you can play with it, but in the end, it's not up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, these are good questions, though. I like these. I like that uh, yeah. these kind of fell into the. And then um, we have a field recording from my lovely wife. Yeah, what's uh, the deal with that? She's recording for us now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's chipping in. No, uh, it, it was us having brunch in Soho a nice afternoon, and all of a sudden, there's a helicopter that was above the restaurant, uh, you know, for half an hour. So that's a nice New York moment. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Um we have and we do have a couple field recordings in the bag but we'd love to continue to hear your questions and field recordings. Yes, please. Yeah. Um it's always a pleasure and we're supposed to be getting new swag out but I doubt whether either of us got it done. Did you get it done? Are you a merchandise artist now? <laughs> I have been selling this hat that I made um but I only sell it to people who message me and ask for it directly and trying a different way um mm. which is like if it's unavailable, it's more desirable. <laughs> Actually, I don't really care. I just got, I made it for myself. You're so savvy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not savvy at all. I just made it for myself. And then some people were like, how do I get that? But um, that was the story of uh, you becoming richer than Jeff Bezos. I just made a cool hat. I didn't know it. And then all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden. I just uh, strung a bunch of servers together. And, and it became a startup. They yeah. call it the cloud. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's listen to the helicopter and uh, see you guys next week. Okay, see y'all. Thanks.